Welcome to a new church year, which is uh, full of hope and all sorts of things cooking. So um, let's, uh, let's pray and then let's go, okay? So stop where you are and then we will, uh, we'll go back to where you were. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, for the rest and peace of this holy day in which we remember all your benefits and seek your face. For the tokens of your goodness in our homes and in our lives, especially in our congregation. For the goodness that you have bestowed upon us through our brothers and sisters in the faith. For the guarding grace by which you have watched over our bodies and preserved us in times of trial and trouble. For the fellowship of all who call upon your name. For the goodness and the beauty that continually greets and blesses us through the gifts of your creation. And for the greatest and most beautiful of all your gifts, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for the hope which this great Sabbath always brings. For these and all gifts we give thanks, O God, our Heavenly Father. Amen. Hey, great to see you back. Um, So much to do. I know it's a little bit um, discombobulated when we trade around a little bit, and uh, it's harder for you to keep schedules and all that, and... You know, it'll, it's just going to be that way. Um, I need to give the younger guys a chance to talk to you once in a while. Pastor Ganig had said, you know, I've never taught that Bible study in the two years I've been here, so I need to give them a shot. And, um, you know, Pastor Nelson is just another kind of guy. So uh, you need to meet him and Johnny Cash occasionally. So it's just, this is good for you. You know, it's just, it just thinks in another way. I mean, the first time I saw that Johnny Cash video, I was just like, that's just, uh, that's just another way of thinking about the world. So here we go. Um, we're talking about beauty, and there's a range of reasons to talk about that. Um, the first page is a review, but the, the, beyond that, it's new. You should have a, in your hand an outline and uh, a sheet with a picture and a poem. Also, you should have a check sheet if you're here to check your name. However, I've been told that we gave you the same page three times rather than three separate pages, so... Hey, we're off to a fast start in the new year. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the new church here. Also, Catherine is here, so we have to gather money. No, no, I didn't really mean that. No, this, this Bible study, you know, it's, it's actually a very clever idea. She has all the Bible studies, you know, toss a few bucks in. You know, you add that up over the course of 52 weeks, and some missionary or some seminary or some family somewhere gets some good out of it. You know, put something in if you've got it. There's no, you know, we're not, we're not dinging you here. If you've got something, put it in. If not, pass it by. Put something in next week. It's all okay. Um, all right, so just, just kind of where we've been now. And I know, I know there's been three different guys. That was intentional. It wasn't because, you know, it wasn't for any other reason that, that other people besides me have things to say. And I, I you know, this Bible study, and I, I've been criticized a little bit for it because I say to you, in fact, I'm going to tell you some stuff in a second that, you know, you're only going to get here. But, um, you know, I say to you, I've said it to the congregation. In my mind, if I say it in this Bible study, I've said it to the congregation because I've said a hundred times, this time at 1015 is where the heavy lifting is done. You need to pay attention in this Bible study. So uh, here we go. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou. Let your beauty fall down from heaven and beyond us. And the question then is, you know, what is beauty? And what can it do for us? And how does it love us? Or, and if you've been to private absolution, um, you've heard this, the very last words, 
Go in the strength, the peace, the joy of the Lord. Come soon to receive Christ's body and blood. That, you'd all expect that. And being joined to him, live toward the work and the beauty he would fulfill in you for himself and others. Go, you're free. He makes you beautiful for himself and for others. Okay, we just have to think about what that means. So, um, now think this way. Why is beauty important? Because God gives beauty. Why is beauty important? Because beauty comforts you. The third one. Why is beauty important? Because beauty is naturally attractive and it draws people to Christ. A mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ by creating an irresistible environment. On Tuesday, the pastors and Martha meet with the liturgical designer for the new space. And the goal of that is to design the most beautiful thing possible within the funds that we've been given. Here's the next thing. The bid is out to move the stained glass. Likely you will come at some time in the next few months and suddenly one of those stained glass or two will disappear and be replaced by clear glass. They need to take them out. They should chisel them out of the stone put in plexiglass to keep the wind out and begin to repair them in the studio. Okay? So the point of all that, and then restore them to their beauty and bring them so that when you move to the new place, you feel some connection, something old, something new, right? So we have this very much on our minds. What will the new font look like? What will the new altar look like? What will the new space look like? What color will it be? How will the seats be arranged? Where will the choir be? How will the light flood the room? What's in, what's out? What's sealed off, what's not? What's near, what's far? What's transitional, what's solid? What's beautiful? It's a very live question. And when we chose this topic, which we'd been simmering for a couple of years, we were very aware that we were going to a new space and we would have great responsibility in terms of what that space looked like, especially because we don't have a fantastically large budget. In fact, one of the liturgical designers disqualified himself because our budget wasn't big enough. He just didn't think he could get beauty in for the amount of money that we had said. And we said, well, that's what we have to live with because we've really stretched to do this. It's fine with us. He's a great guy, and he's done some brilliant things. Just so you know, the kind of people we've talked to, um, that guy did uh, uh, St. John Newman Church in St. Charles, um, one of the guys we talked to was the uh, consultant for the Los Angeles Cathedral. As we were talking to the guy that we selected, uh, we said, well, we think we might want to do this with the altar and this with the pulpit. He said, you know, in 1979, when I was consultant for the papal b- visit, that's what we did for the pope, which then perked Ganey up. <laughs> Just checking to see if you're all awake, you know. Just checking to see if you're all awake. So, uh, you know, that was, that's kind of fun. We didn't know that about him before, but um, that turned out to be our guy. And it's been a glorious process of, of sort of um, trying to figure out how to make a place beautiful and inviting and warm and witnessing. And that's all coming at us, man. That's coming like a freight train. The, the latest news is that uh, Wheaton Bible Church is back on schedule, which means, you know, they had some delays. They're kind of back on schedule. For middle of next summer, they're going to give us the keys. And then we need to go to work, right? So this is a live topic for us as a congregation. So beauty as what God gives. Beauty as consolation for all of you. Beauty as a witness to other people. 
and then gaining. It's the Viva Vox, don't kill it. Beauty as something we can get in the way of if we're not careful. And then finally, keep alive the rumor that the beauty that was once lost has now been regained. That's just great stuff. One of the hard things about beauty is that it is a bit ephemeral in some ways. It moves. It morphs. People disagree about it. It's subtle sometimes. And sometimes it's so brilliant that you cannot express it in words. It's a difficult topic of itself to engage. However, beauty does, in fact, have boundaries. That's the first thing we did. We looked at the word for beautiful. Uh, This is point number two, noam. Same word, uh, uh, um, uh, lampotes. This is not only for what's bright and beautiful and kind and gracious. Now, I'm going to come back to this later, but do you notice that these words are both physical and spiritual? It has to do with both bodily things, corporeal, things you can touch, but it also has to do with the essence of God. This word has both of those things tied up. That's going to be extraordinarily important as we talk about you as beautiful and Christ is beautiful in just a moment. But you notice that the same word, what's pleasant, what's delightful. Okay, we can think of what's pleasant, we can think of what's delightful, but what's bright, what's gracious. First of all, those things only belong to God. Light is 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 God's is God's one of the one of the designers said you have the great you have the great or, great possibility in the Bible church to orient all of this toward the light Jesus is light you have the great possibility to orient everything toward Jesus who is light so beauty then becomes a, a, you know architecture becomes an expression of Jesus who is light right and especially and this was the most interesting early discovery. What the word for beauty is the word when Jesus is on the altar receiving the sacrifice. Okay, the beauty is when incarnate, incarnate Jesus is with you, physically, tangibly, like a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, like fire that is on the altar. Okay, so we, when we come on, on Sunday, what we need to do is justice to all of that to Jesus who is actually in our midst. And that then explains to you why beauty is important. It's not important for its own sake. It's it's important because it shows witness and reverence to Christ that we do our best. Whatever our best may be, we do our best. You know, you remember how Paul says in his epistles, don't look at other people. Yes, there are going to be other people who have bigger churches than yours. Don't look at other people. There are going to be other people who have more money than you. Don't look at other people. There are going to be other people who do better works than you. Don't look at other people who have more opportunity. Don't. He said that every man does what he's been given to do. Don't compare yourselves to other people. Do the best that you can do. And we've talked about that. You know, it, it, you should be able to see that everything we've done for the last three or four years has put us on a trajectory to talk about how the church works, to talk about what is best, to talk about what community is, to talk about what, what, what thanksgiving is, and then to talk about what beauty is. These are all the elements. Occasionally someone will say, uh, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be this coherent plan. And I think to myself, it's been coherent for five years. It's about doing your best in a community for Christ in a way that is most beautiful. It couldn't be more coherent. It's about giving witness to Jesus Christ who locates himself at altar, pulpit, and font. That is beauty. 
But there are expressions of that beauty all over the place. That's what we're chasing. So, <coughs> excuse me, so far, you've seen that in an icon of Christ that invites you in and promises you another world where what you think matters doesn't matter as much as what you think, and what Christ thinks matters matters a ton. You've also you've seen it in artwork. You've also seen it in persons. And Pastor Ganey gave you St. Mary, but I'm going to argue today for each one of you. So you can see beauty in artwork, especially in icons, which are their own thing. You can see it in artwork. And then uh, the brilliance of what, what Nelson did the last few weeks was it's everywhere. It's in a one-armed man who's in Folsom Prison who lives and dies to pull the curtains back over a, over a cheesy copy of the Lord's Supper so that he can have the sacrament so he can survive. There's something beautiful about that. And that's what we're trying to chase. So, <clears throat> point three is, so far we've seen beauty in these places. How can that be? Flip the page then, we're at point four. <clears throat> the answer is, you can blame it on the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting, um, you know, you were kind enough to let Pastor Gating and I do a little continuing yet at St. Andrews for this conference on beauty this summer, which is really quite a spectacular thing. It was only about 75 people. Um, it was a very, very high-level conference. I had this guy, very nondescript, um, sitting next to me for two of the lectures. We didn't talk much, and he, he, he was a quiet guy, and he looked, he could have been, you know, the guy at the hardware store. He could have been, you know, he could have been anybody. It turns out he's the guy uh, who wrote this book, Patrick Sherry's Spirit of Beauty, which is really quite quite nice, uh, quite interesting in many ways. And a few of the things I pulled in is from him. That's sort of the joy of going places. You bump into people and you learn things that you would have never thought of. Or they prompt you in ways that you might not have expected. So here it is. Try this. God is beauty. We got that from Aquinas, but it goes way back. God is beauty. And now these two things. And when he creates in love, you remember love is the reason he creates. Love is always more. He doesn't need to create you, but he does create. He creates you so he can, why does he create you? He creates you so he can love you. He creates you in a sense so you can experience the beauty of divine love. He didn't need to create us, but he creates us for us so that we can experience, which means he creates us for him. That all that we do is meant to live within the love which he wants to give to live in relationship with you. That's why you're created. The Holy Spirit not only diffuses his perfections into the world. So here's the thing. God not only puts beauty into the world, but he also helps you see him. Jesus, he who has ears, he, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He, he who has eyes to see, let him see. Okay, so in the very act of love that is creation, and you can think as specifically about the person sitting next to you, as about the trees outside, as about you know the ocean, as as about the stars. It's it's as about icons, as about persons like Mary. He creates people. He creates things with beauty, and then he gives you eyes to see it. Okay, and it's not given to everybody. Everybody doesn't see it. But it's the sermon this morning. Part of the church is learning to see. You know, you don't, you don't know anything about incense other than it smells different. But if you see it as prayers rise into heaven, as you see it as the sacrifice on the altar, as you see it as what happened to Isaiah, 
as he passed to the altar and was touched in heaven, if you see it as the, the smell of life and the smell of death, I think I've told you one of my earliest memories was tromping through about four feet of snow as I had a Catholic uncle being buried up in Minnesota in the bitter cold. And there was a vested priest going before him, fully vested, with a censer leading this whole... And literally, people were picking up their, their feet and walking through two or three feet of snow. This priest going through the snow, he would not be deterred, fully vested with a censer to bury uh, this sort of great uncle of mine. The snow wasn't going to get in the way of giving that guy all the beauty that God had to give at the moment when the family needed that most. It didn't matter. It was literally 20 below zero and four feet of snow on the ground. It didn't matter. That guy was going to get Christian burial. That, that's beauty. Okay, so God puts it into the world and he lets us see it. Now, you can do a whole philosophical way of talking about this or theological way. And the way people talk about they talk about beauty as an imprint you know, like sometimes Jesus is spoken of as the imprint of the Father. You see him like you see an imprint on a coin and then you know what's good. Or a reflection, like nature is a mirror. Or a vestige, there's just a little bit there. Or a trace, there's something different. Or a type, I wonder if there's more. Or a sacrament, and we have to keep our terms straight because some people will talk about we have a narrow definition of sacrament as, as sort of altar, pulpit, and font. Um, there are some people who speak of the world as a sacrament. And then Catholics sort of um, normally sort of shave that down to sacramentals. Sacramentals are things that remind you of the sacrament. So you see the fountain over in the park across the street, and that's beautiful, and it makes you think of your baptism, for example. Or you see, you know, the classic doors in America that have... Uh, you know, the, the doors that are across, four or six panes in the door. You know, you see a cross everywhere you go. And to develop that ability to see is to see beauty in the world. What's the good of that? The good of that is, is one, it's very comforting to you. You glimpse God everywhere you turn around. At the end of his life, it was said of Luther, he saw Christ behind every rock and tree. Or you'll notice, only one of you has noticed, but then somebody left last night and said to me, um, did you really say that at the time of Noah, every, they all thought they were good Christians? And I thought that was very clever. That it, I said it. I said, yes, I said it. And then this person got it. I said it on purpose because Christ is in the Noah story. Implicitly and explicitly, Christ is the God whom they reject in the Noah story. Also, baptism, as the New Testament tells us, is a type of, I'm sorry, the flood as the New Testament tells us, is a, is a sign, a type of baptism. It's a prediction that the Lord will save us through baptism. When there's a flood for Noah and he gets saved, the New Testament says that's a prediction that you'll be saved in the water. He saved Noah in the water, he's going to save you in the water. So you see, there's beauty in that. And it's all connected. So the secret then is to look for Christ and then everything else as you sort of move through the world. Now, um, we're not just making this up, so open your Bible to Psalm 19, if you could. If you've got a Bible, just spin to Psalm 19, please. The heavens tell out the glory of God. So you look up in the sky, and it speaks. 
it speaks of God's glory. When you look in the sky tonight, you know, the heavens tell out the glory of God. The vault of heaven reveals his handiwork. In some way, the sky, the creation, tells you about God. One day speaks to another. Night with night shares its knowledge. And this without speech or language. So you see, there's beauty. It's not only spoken, you know, and some of it even can't be spoken of. Some of it can only be seen. I'm certain that you've been places where you've looked up and you've seen a sky that is so brilliant, so beautiful, that you are, you're spellbound. You cannot describe it. You feel it. You sense it. But it's so wonderful you can't speak of it. It's like being in love. Now, that's what he's talking about. One day speaks to another. Night shares its knowledge with night. And, without, and this without speech or language or the sound of any voice. Their music goes on throughout all the earth. Their words reach to the end of the world. In them a tent is fixed for the sun who comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. And in the end, Jesus is always the bridegroom in Scripture. So you see, now you have just a little, you have a little, you have a little ringing of Christ. Rejoicing like a strong man to run his race. You know, the beauty of the human body, physical activity. His rising is at one end of the heavens. His circuit touches their farthest ends, and nothing is hidden from his heat. Jesus incarnates the cosmos. And when you see the cosmos, you see a glimpse of Jesus. Now here's the thing. Sometimes people will say, well, that's enough then to get people to believe in God. And that may or may not be true. And so you have all these arguments from design and, and, and uh, you, you have apologetics to say, well, you can just look at that and everybody knows there's a God. That's not particularly helpful. To know that there's a God doesn't matter one way or another. The point is to know that there's a gracious God. There may be a God who made the heavens and hates you because you're so miserably unbeautiful now because of your sins. But for Christians, or for the psalmist, (coughs) who already believed in God, he can look up and say, this is a gift to me. And in many ways, this gift is inexpressible. It's a natural beauty. You just think about this. When you go out today, it's a bit of a grim day. But when you go out, just look around at the world. There is a way, when the snow falls, uh, that, that that is an image of redemption. That just for a moment, everything is covered white and everything is new and everything is redeemed and the world gets a fresh start. You know, can you presume all that without knowing Christ? You cannot. But if you know Christ and then see it, the world is for you a different place. At the end of the day, this is nothing that, different than what we've said for the last 10 years, which is you receive everything the Lord gives as gift and blessing. Okay? And if you read... Uh, Psalm 104, you'd see that. I'll leave that to you. Uh, or maybe next week. We'll see what happens. But also, um, go to Romans chapter 120. Okay? Romans chapter 1, verse 20. You can spin right in your Bible just a little bit. <clears throat> God himself has disclosed himself. His invisible attributes, that is to say, his everlasting power and deity, 
have been visible. See, they're, they're, they're possible for you to observe. Ever since the world began, to the eye of reason, in the things that he has made. There it is. You see that? He diffuses himself into the universe. Or he makes himself known in created things. So it's just, it's there. Now you can, that's, that's a pretty heavy law section if you read that. You wouldn't want to read that just before you go to bed. That's a pretty tough section, Romans 3. But then somebody like St. Bonaventure comes along and says, when Jesus is speaking and he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. You know, remember they don't spin or toil, but they're taken care of. Consider the birds of the air. You know, and then he says, consider the hairs in the air. Bonaventure says, you know, that's a magnum opus of beauty. That is God putting himself into your creation and caring for the creation in a way that he loves you. Six. Most noble of, among the creation is you. And this is a strange way to speak, especially for Lutherans. We regularly speak about how broken we are, and that, in fact, is true. Many days we are evil and we are ugly. And we come each week to repent of all of that. But let me take the other side for just a moment. That just like the rest of creation, we were made beautiful and we are beautiful. Just consider that for... Now, I know this can go wrong in a hundred ways. But if you can just hear this, you know, if it's too dangerous for you, think of England, you know. This is... This is, this is but, but this is... It's not... It's not wrong to say, in fact, it's very right to say that you are made in the image of God and that each of you is beautiful according to the beauty that God has given you. I know it can go wrong. I know it can be prideful. I know it can be overemphasized. I know it can make us neglect our brokenness. I know, I know, I know. Okay, we've done all that. Try this, that God made us beautiful And that even now, as you sit there, you may be spoken of as beautiful and there's a reason for your beauty. I don't really need to, um, you know, I'll read these texts from you because I I want you to um, not think that I'm making this up as I go along. But you do remember how careful the text is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, to say... God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. So God is beauty, and then he makes you in his image and in his likeness. Now, I know that people have argued for three or 4,000 years about what that means, and I know the range of possibilities from sinlessness to rationality to eternal life. I mean, I get all that what I would like for you to do is open for the possibility that among the things that are given in that image is beauty. Let us make man in our image and our likeness to rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the heaven, the cattle and all the wild beasts and all the reptiles that crawl upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, which would mean both males and both females have this beauty imprinted upon them. Okay? Now, I recognize that this is not a predominant theme in Scripture, but 
themes don't have to be predominant to be extraordinarily valuable. So he creates us beautifully. And I wonder, it wouldn't kill us, real honestly, (laughs) to begin to think of the person sitting next to you as the beauty of God. It It wouldn't kill us, actually, to wonder what the particular beauty is in the person sitting next to you. I remember Oswald Chambers somewhere in um, My Utmost First Highest says, there's always one fact in the other guy's story you don't know. There's a very helpful thing for you to think about when you're about to bang on somebody. But I also wonder if the next time you're really mad at somebody or mad at your kid or mad at your wife or you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or name something, I wonder if just wondering about what beauty still resides in that person whom God has created. I wonder if that might be helpful. And real honestly, at some point, I want to chase this all the way to the one-armed guy in the video from last week. Because frankly, people in prison aren't the normal places where you would look for beauty. And yet in the church, in the way of Christ, when Jesus says, you you did it to them, you did it to me, that means his beauty resides in the weakest and the poorest of all people. And that's to be engaged and nurtured. And it can be engaged in a, in a, and nurtured in a way not that is revolting, but in a way where we come to love people in spite of the way they've been challenged in life. So we're created in God's image. And Romans is fairly clear um, that we have lost that glory, that we've lost that image. You know, this text I give you here, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin makes us ugly. I just went through with the eighth graders um, in sin, John 8, (coughs) the woman caught in adultery, where it's very clear that when she sins, she hurts Jesus, she hurts the community, but she also hurts herself. And you can see that in the absolution that Jesus gives her, where he forgives her, the community forgives her, and she then forgives herself. So there's an ugliness against Jesus. There's an ugliness in the community. But there's also an ugliness in us when we sin. We, we grow ugly. And yet then the opposite of that is to be restored by grace. Grace beautifies. You remember we should have run the U2 lyrics from... from uh, uh, you remember the, the last, the last we, we ran it in the bulletin. It's two, cut, two, two CDs ago for you too now. But this song that says, Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. It's brilliant. I mean, you could, do, you could do the whole confirmation class from you two cuts, I suppose. Then Johnny Cash's people would call us. <laughs> right? So just look, you know, look at Romans 8, 29, and 30. This is the good news. So you're created with the beauty of God. You're made ugly. And frankly, you make your community ugly. And really, you mar Jesus. This may be the truth in when people say, who crucified Jesus? We did. We mar Jesus. We make Jesus ugly. You know, Isaiah 53, which I presume at some... I'll just say it now because I'm going to say it a bit later and then I'll forget, but... I'm going to argue for the physical beauty of Jesus in a little while. I'm going to argue for his physical beauty. And one of you, I'm sure, will quote to me the Isaiah prophecy of Jesus coming. In him there was no comeliness, no physical beauty. Yeah, I get that too. But it's also talking about him having the hell beat out of him on the cross. 
or frankly beat into him, which is a very different thing. Sin mars Jesus. It makes Jesus ugly. Sin mars the community. It makes the community ugly. And sin mars you. It makes you ugly. That's one of the things that sin does. And it's an ugliness that you can't always express, and it's an ugliness that's not always physical. You can have very beautiful people who do very ugly things, right? But grace is the restoration of that. And at some point, um, I'm going to step aside and let Pastor Gaining talk to you about the mystical union of you with Christ as an ultimate form of beauty, as a thing that's most, that you might most welcome. <clears throat> I can never do as much as I think I can do. <coughs> All right, so I'm going to do two things in advance. Pick up this sheet. You got this sheet? I just want you to think about this as two examples. We're going to do this. We'll work at this next week. If you can bring them back, that'd be great. I'll print you some. But these are, these are two examples of beauty. I just, want you to, I just want you to look at this. It's Christmas coming, okay? It's Christmas. Just, just look at that. Tell me what you see in that picture. The newborn child, what do you see? Just tell me what you see, please. We don't have a lot of time. Be brave. You, first you see light, okay? And it's just, how do you see the light? Where, what's the source of the light? Or where, where is the light in the picture? It is right in the center, right by the bed. But is the child itself? Do you see that the shadow is behind on the back of her hand? She's got her hand up, which is very interesting. Is she shielding herself? Is she welcoming herself? What, welcoming? Yeah, but, the, but the point is, he's the, he's the sun. He's the light. The shadow's on the back. Everything emanates from him. That's, that's not normal, Right? And that's not how normal, but there is, there is in that a beauty. Look at the, look at the visages of the people. What, what do they look like? How do they, how, how do they, what do they look like? How does the woman feel who's holding her, holding him? I'm presuming this is Mary. I got to read up on this this week. I got to this late in the, what, how do, what, what do you see in that woman's face? She's humbled. Yes, good. What else? She's peaceful. What else? She's extraordinarily interested. Is she not? Look how her eyes are cast down. And yet there is this calm. I would suggest to you there's this beauty in her. She's a very beautiful woman. Especially if that's Mary, who, if she's just given birth to a child. Exactly. Neither one of them are looking directly at him. It's beautiful. It draws you. And yet it might be too much, which may explain her hand. Yes, right. There, that's right. There's distance, right? Okay. So put this up and ponder it for a week. What would it be like if beauty landed in your midst? So I'm going to argue next week for the, spiritual, for the physical beauty of Jesus. But I'm also going to argue for, 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 for spiritual beauty. And I just, I'll go one time through this poem. Um, uh, this is why it's nice to have smart friends. You know, um, Arthur Just was coming through town. He said, have you ever, have you ever heard of the poet R.S. Thomas? I said, I haven't. He said, well, I just read an article, I think it was in The Economist, a review that said he was the greatest Christian poet of the 20th century, which then, you know, you just think to yourself, how, I'm 50, how did this get by me? Uh, but you start to read his stuff, and you think, I would have been a better Christian if I had known this earlier. So just, just read this. This is Cain. Obviously, you know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother. Just think about this. Abel looked at the wound his brother had dealt him and loved him for it. 
Cain saw that look and struck him again. The blood cried out on the ground. God listened to it. He questioned Cain. But Cain answered, Who made the blood? I offered you clean things, the blonde hair of the corn, the knuckled vegetables, the flowers, things that did not publish their hurt, that bled silently. You would not accept them. And God said, It was part of myself he gave me. The lamb was torn from my own side. The limp head, the slow fall of red tears, they were like a mirror to me in which I beheld my reflection. I anointed myself in readiness for the journey to the doomed tree you were at work upon. Let's take that home and play with it for a week. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you next week.